You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, happy Mother's Day. And as you're seated, please grab your Bible with me. Let's open it together to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. Last week in the message, I mentioned offhandedly that I heard on radio that the government of Ontario might be changing the speed limit of some of the uh, roads. I found out this week, actually, that's not just uh, something that might happen. It's kind of already going to happen. In uh, the fall, three stretches of highway in Ontario, not really close to us unless you do a lot of traveling, but three stretches in highway are going to have a pilot project of raising their speed limits from 100 as the max limit to 110 as the max limit. And when I heard that, I started actually thinking about the driver's ed defensive driving courses that I had to take when I was first getting my license. And I started thinking about the first times I actually drove on a highway and how uh, freaked out I was getting on the highway. Because when you're learning to drive with defensive driving techniques, you're really taught to be very watchful in everything you do. Like, I remember being told every three seconds I should be checking something different to make sure that I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Are my hands in the right place? Who's behind me in the car? Am I in between the lanes? Am I at the speed limit and not over the speed limit? Someone behind me again? You're always watchful when you're learning defensive driving techniques. And uh, when you got on the highway... Man, I just started getting really freaked out. I remember first time getting on the highway, turning off of Stovall Road onto the 404 uh, South, I believe I was going, and I was making the turn around the on-ramp, making sure everything was in order, and then my instructor turned to me and said, get on the gas. Because <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I gotta, get to, like, I gotta go to 100, and like, getting up that fast and still watching everything was, was frightening. The Apostle Paul has been teaching the Colossian church about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He is supreme over all things. All things are created through him. All things were created for him so that he might be preeminent, so that he might be first supreme in all things. And he said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, that he is sufficient for all things. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk in him. If we're going to live a life of full maturity that pleases God, all we need is Christ. As you received him, walked in him. Paul's been teaching about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in all things. And in Colossians chapter 2, he now tells them, watch out. Because you may be going through your Christian life, doing your normal activities. Sometimes you drive for a long time and you forget defensive driving techniques. And it's okay to check your phone. It's okay to be fiddling with the dial. And you can be distracted. And you can be not watchful. Today we're going to learn this idea from the message. We must watch out. We must watch out for empty lies. Because full Maturity is in Christ alone. Today, for the first time, the Apostle Paul in this letter is identifying who the false teachers were, how they were minimizing the supremacy of Christ, disregarding the sufficiency of Christ, and how the Colossian church must watch out. And in the same way, we too must watch out for empty lies 
because full maturity is in Christ alone. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 is going to teach us five common features. It's going to teach us five common features of empty lies that we must watch out for ourselves so that we can seek full maturity in Christ alone. So as we do, would you stand with me to honor God in the reading of his word? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to the verse 10. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Father, help us to recognize again the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, how all things were created in him and through him so that he might be preeminent, and how we can live a life that's pleasing to you, fully mature in him alone, Lord, and cause us to have discernment, Lord God, because there is much out there and even much potentially in here that could keep us shackled in sin and stunted in spiritual growth. Lord, we need your help. Make us watchful, please and allow your church to prosper and flourish in maturity after Christ's likeness. Help us speak to us clearly, and we will listen, believe, and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Five common features that we must watch out for so we can uh, pursue full maturity in Christ alone. Here's the first common feature of empty lies we need to watch out for. Watch out for empty lies that enslave our faith. Watch out for empty lies that enslave our faith. Our text predominantly today is going to examine verse 8. We'll dip our toe into the waters of verse 9 and 10, but we're really going to look into that fully next week. We need to watch out for empty lies that enslave our faith. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. That word see to it in the English kind of sounds kind of informal. You know, like a parent might talk to a child, see to it that you do your laundry, you know? Or a teacher might talk to their students, see to it that you do your homework this week. The weight, though, of this language in Paul's original lighting is a lot heavier than that. It's not an informal, casual, you should probably be, be uh, observant of this. It's actually a command. Watch out. And in other translations, that actually uses the words, be careful. Or another one says, beware. And what Paul's telling them to watch out for is that they're not taken captive by philosophy. Now, when he says philosophy, he doesn't mean the school of field of study itself. He's not talking about the 101 course that you took in your sophomore university class. When he's talking about philosophy, he's talking about the, a general term that just refers to popular teaching. A lot of different popular teachings of Paul's age were called philosophies. Even Judaism, but one writer was called a philosophy. It's likely that he used this term, this general term, because that the false teachers in Colossae were identifying their teaching as philosophy in this positive, like, marketable way. Come listen to our philosophy. It's so philosophical. They were trying to make themselves look good. And Paul told them to watch out that no one takes them captive by that philosophy. 
This word, taken captive, is like being plundered and having your treasure taken away as a spoil of war. When Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, it was a wonder that the world marveled at. Kings and queens came from across the world to marvel and gawk at the beauty of this ancient building. But in the year 587, many generations after Solomon built it, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came to Jerusalem not to gawk at the temple, but to destroy it. King Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Jerusalem, won the city, and then took all the people captive back to, meant most of the people captive back to Babylon, but not before he destroyed the temple plundered its treasures and took the gold and the beautiful artifacts of the temple of the living God and took them as spoils of war back to put in his temples of pagan gods. Paul tells the church that he wants them to enjoy the rich treasure of full assurance in Christ Jesus. He says that in chapter 2, verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is treasure in the full assurance that Christians can have in Christ Jesus. To have meaning and purpose and joy in life defined by the assurance of knowing who God is who we are, and how we can live a life that's pleasing to him. That is a rich treasure. But Paul said that these false teachers, if they listened to them, would come and plunder the treasure of full assurance in Christ Jesus. The point is this. uh, The stakes are high, and the results can be devastating. That means that we as Christians can't afford to be apathetic or indifferent about the ideas that are being promoted in our culture, the popular trends, the general philosophies. No idea is spiritually neutral. Doesn't matter if it's from your favorite podcast or a best-selling author or a popular web series, blockbuster movies, top-charting music, the most-watched speakers on TED Talks, No idea is spiritually neutral. It can be either another brick to build up the house of your faith, or it can be a wrecking ball that can completely demolish everything that God wants to build in your life. Christ is supreme over all things. All things are created through him and for him so that he might be preeminent first in all And if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, that shows his preeminence, all we need is Christ. He is supreme and he is sufficient for all things. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. These are what we need to be able to live a Christian life. The supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. But but there's so many ideas in the world that diminish the supremacy of Christ and disregard the sufficiency of Christ saying that there are other things to worship and other things to celebrate and and you don't need Jesus to get those. No idea is spiritually neutral, so we as Christians need to test all things. We need to ask questions like, does this idea promote Christ's glory first or does it promote my happiness and my success first? 
Is this more of a life coach? Is this using Jesus as a life coach for my own spiritual success? Or is it recognizing me as a humble servant that serves a holy God? Does this idea promote mature Christian character? Or does it relax personal holiness so that you can pursue your own personal truth? No idea is spiritually neutral, and some ideas can keep us shackled in their sin and stunted from true spiritual growth. Paul prayed for their full maturity. Paul called them to strive for it. We must be too. Christian, there's no room to be apathetic. There's no room to be indifferent. We should not live our lives like sponges soaking up every popular idea. We should be like filters, testing what is good and removing what does not build us up in the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Watch out for empty lies that enslave our faith. Watch out also for hollow promises. That's the second feature we learned from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Watch out for empty lies that offer hollow promises. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. This word empty deceit, Paul is using emptiness as a uh, visual representation to contrast the fullness that we should have in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is the full assurance. All the riches of treasure of wisdom and knowledge are fully in Christ. But the uh, false teachers in Colossae were offering empty deceit, hollow promises. This is a key mark of all false teaching. Over-promising, under-delivering. What the false teachers were saying, if you seek this, you'll actually really reach all the fullness you need. But they couldn't deliver. It's like this. Imagine you had a credit card given to you. A credit card with no limit that someone else was paying off every day. I'd call that living a wealthy life, right? Wherever, wherever you are, no matter where you go, just swipe. You don't even need a pin. You can even tap if even it's over $100. Infinite wealth. No limit. Someone else is paying it off. That's like what we have in Christ Jesus. All we need to live a life that's pleasing to God and full maturity is fully in Christ. If I have that type of a card, I don't need any cash. I don't need to carry a wallet. It's just this. And that's the richest of full assurance that we have in Christ Jesus. We need him and no other. But the false teachers try to offer something different, but it's really hollow. The false teachers in Colossae were saying like, hey, you can have all the money you want. And it's not a card, it's straight up cash. And it's in this bank vault in the, in the basement of this bank. And if you can go and open the vault, you'll have all the cash you need. But you gotta find out the you got to find out the code on yourself to crack the lock. But maybe you take that promise seriously. So you look and you watch all the bank heist movies and you learn how to crack the lock. And after months of trying, you actually open it and see there's all this cash, but it's actually monopoly money. Sure, there's cash all that I need, but it's a currency no one's taking anywhere. That's what the false teachers were offering. Hollow promises that enslaved their faith. We need to watch out for this. These is, this is the essence of what the false teaching in the Colossian church was. The essence of it was it would enslave their faith and they offered hollow promises. But notice that I actually haven't, I actually haven't told you 
what they were teaching yet. I've told you the essence, but what's the substance? What was the content of what they were actually telling the church? Well, you can see it in the rest of verse 8. In the three times, the Apostle Paul uses the word according. Look at verse 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. This is the substance. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What do these things mean? What does it mean that they were teaching a message according to human tradition? Well, here's the third feature of the empty lies that we need to watch out for. Watch out for empty lies that are merely man-made. That's the substance of what their message was. Merely man-made. Jesus himself used this phrase, human tradition, in Matthew 15, verse 6, when he was having a conversation with the Pharisees. And you probably remember, the Pharisees were infamous for um, adding human rules on top of the word of God. So here's God's word they had, and they're supposed to obey God's word, but in order to not disobey God's word, they would add rule on top of rule on top of rule on top of rule to what they were actually obeying. It wasn't actually God's word. It was actually just man-made tradition. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, 6, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That's effectively what was happening in the Colossian church. The scholars who studied this false teaching calls what they were teaching Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a term derived from a Greek word meaning gnosis, which means knowledge. The false teachers in the Colossian church were saying that they had a secret knowledge delivered to them by angelic beings. And what it actually was, was a combination of Jewish law from the Old Testament and pagan worship. And they had this like buffet style of pick and choose and the angels told us, so you got to believe and you need Jesus too. Yeah, 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 you need Jesus too. But if you don't also listen to this like weird synchronistic combination buffet style thing that we heard from angels. Yeah, Jesus too, but you also need this. The problem is adding unto anything on top of Christ makes void all of Christ because the message of the gospel is Christ alone. If we add anything to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God created us in his image to enjoy a relationship with him. That's what he purposed for us. But we weren't content being creatures. We wanted the power of the creator. So we rebelled against following God's good way. And through our sinful rebellion, all human beings, myself and yourself, have been separated from God and the consequence of our rebellious sin is death and suffering and God's wrath. That doesn't sound like good news at first. It's not. But the good news is that Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life so that by faith in him, his righteousness would be attributed to us. Jesus offers by faith in him eternal life, abundance now in a relationship with God. This good news is all Christ alone. There's nothing that I can do to add to it. It is done in Christ Jesus. 
Anything that adds to the gospel is no longer the gospel. If the message isn't Christ alone, it's not Christianity. Soon I'm going to talk to you about some ways I see these features active in our culture right now. And there may be things that you listen to. There may be things that all Christians can be tempted with. We need to watch out for empty lies that enslave our faith, that offer hollow promises that are merely man-made. And we need to watch out for empty lies that insist on rigid rules. This is the fourth feature that we see from the false teaching that we need to watch out for. Watch out for empty lies that insist on rigid rules. This is more of the substance of the content of what they actually taught in the Colossian church. Notice in verse 8 it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. What on earth does that mean? In ancient times, before observational science was as developed, people thought that the basic substance that made up the world were elements. There was a band that I've only heard like maybe one or two songs about. The band's called uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think that's it. I think they don't know they're like old from Detroit or something. I have no idea what music they sing. But I remember seeing even cartoons when I was younger and they thought like the basic elements of the world were like earth and wind and fire and water. And there's even religions today that's, that, that worship these elements. And in ancient times, uh, people thought, because they didn't have observational science, that the basic elements of the world were earth and wind and fire and water. These were the basic elements of physical existence. So when the scripture says elemental spirits of the world, it's actually just an ancient reference to physical matter. Right? Just the world around us. Okay? And, and this false teaching from the Colossians that was a, supposedly from angelic beings, who we've learned from Colossians 1 are actually demonic powers, these demonic powers that had a mishmash of pagan religion and Jewish laws essentially were teaching people, if you can master self-control in your behavior towards the world around you, you can live a life that pleases God. Right? Look down at verse 20. That specifies exactly this. Verse 20 of chapter 2 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, rigid rules? What were the rigid rules? The rigid rules were do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish as they were used. Gnosticism taught that if you master self-control in your behavior towards the physical world, these rigid rules and adhering to them can allow you to please God. The problem, though, is that Christianity teaches that all of our righteous deeds, all of our best deeds, all of our upright conduct, all of our good behavior, without Jesus or on top of Jesus, they're filthy rags before God. This is just another repackaged way of thinking that if I live my life in such a way that the good outweighs the bad, the cosmic scales will tip in my favor and I will be in favor with God and I will please him. But that's folly because God is only pleased with one person, his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized, do you remember the voice that came from heaven out of the clouds when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove? This is my beloved son in whom I am well 
pleased. God is pleased with Jesus Christ. God is pleased with the life Jesus Christ lived, and he lived it perfectly. And no matter how well we think we can be self-controlled and have good and upright behavior following religious rigid rules, we can never please God. Because in our hearts, we're comprehensively corrupted by our sin. But the good news is that believing in Jesus, all of his righteousness by faith in him is attributed to my account. Rigid rules are empty. We cannot follow them. They cannot please God. If we are adding to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. If the message isn't Christ alone, it isn't Christianity. Here's the fifth feature. The fifth feature of empty lies that we need to watch out for. And this fifth one is really, it's a summary of all the previous four. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The fifth feature is this, watch out for empty lies that are devoid of Christ. Any addition to Christ is subtract. Any addition to Christ is subtraction of Christ because the only real Christ that the scripture knows is one that is supreme over all things and sufficient to allow us to live a life that pleases God. Any addition of Christ is full subtraction of Christ. The only Christ scripture knows is Christ alone. These are the features So now I want us to consider together, are any of these features present and relevant in our culture today? Are any of these features present and relevant in our church today, in our faith today? There are many that I think we could address, but there are two in particular that I want to be able to address to you today. One claims to be Christian and just is not, it's only masquerading as Christianity. One doesn't claim to be Christian, but I see so many Christians trying to interface it with their faith that it actually does much damage to the true message of the gospel. As I was studying this past week, I came across an article by a writer in the New York Times, a man named Ross Duthat. Ross Duthat is a a Catholic op-ed writer in the New York Times who writes about religion. And there's much that I disagree about with him as a Catholic writer. When we look at the lens of scripture, I believe we look at it in the historically apostolic, orthodox way, and he misses so much. But when we look at the world, I see much in the world at the same way that he sees in the world too. And I think his perspective about the world should be heeded. This article is talking about Actually, the article is about Oprah. But in it, he is examining um, traditional mainline religion and secularism, but then there's this something in the middle where people are trying to be spiritual. Here's the quote. It's on the screen. Ross Duthat says this, But in between secularism and traditionalism lies the most American approach to matters of the faith a religious individualism that blurs the line between the God out there and the God within. A Gnostic spirituality that constantly promises access to a secret and personalized wisdom, a gospel of health and wealth that insists that the true spiritual adept will find both happiness and money 
a do-it-yourself form of faith that encourages syncretism, that's combining ideas together, and relativism, that there's no absolute truth, that encourages syncretism and relativism and the pursuit of your own truth. There's two things in this quote that I want to address. First is the one of health and wealth. Second is the one of the God that's within rather than the God that's without. Two false teachings we need to absolutely watch out for today. Watch out for ideas that emphasize personal empowerment through positive words. I'll say that again. Watch out for ideas that emphasize personal empowerment through positive words. If you've heard this term before, you may know exactly what I'm talking about. This is Prosperity Gospel 101. And if you're not familiar with that term, Prosperity Gospel, just Google search Joel Olstein and then scroll down to other people also searched for and you'll see all the false teachers there. It's easy to take that name and use him as the whipping boy, but the reality is that this idea that undergirds this is actually very rampant in a lot of teaching today. The prosperity gospel promises financial success and physical health as signs of a blessed relationship with God. You have a good relationship with God if you're healthy and if your bank account is full. Tell that to Job. They advocate empowering your circumstances through positive words. Even Joel Olstein's one of his most famous books is about seven confessions that you should make every day. I am blessed. I am debt-free. I am healthy. I am beautiful. In reality, though there are speakers who claim to be pastors and it's messages that's proclaimed in buildings they call churches, it's not Christianity. It's New Age mysticism borrowed from a New Age mystical philosophy called the Law of Attraction. The law of attraction is this new age mysticism that believes that everything in the world is merely energy and a construct of our mental thinking. Everything is energy. Words, chairs, people. And positive energy attracts positive energy and negative energy attracts negative energy. So if I have positive words and speak positive words, my positive words and the power of positive thinking will eventually manifest positive reality. So if you're sick, it's not because you contracted measles from somewhere in York region, which you can actually do right now. It's because your attitude was bad and you weren't thinking with the proper happiness. If you only said the right things and believed the right things, you wouldn't be in debt. You wouldn't have cancer. It's not Christianity. It's foolishness. And in this type of a message, who's supreme? God or you? You know what this type of message turns God into? The claw in the toy machine where you try and win a prize. If I only order my thoughts up correctly and say the right prayer, I'll get exactly the thing I want, but it's okay. One token, play as much as you can. So if it wasn't right, rearrange the right thought, say the right prayer, and God's my genie in a bottle that I can rub and get the wish that I want. It's not Christianity. It's New Age mysticism. But frankly, it's actually the message of Christianity that's being packaged and sold most prominently from North America across the world. If you want to know the most, it's one of the most advancing messages through TV networks and 
it's rampant. Watch out for ideas that emphasize personal empowerment through positive words. This next one is the one that doesn't claim to be Christian, but I see a lot of Christians trying to interface it with their life. And I'm going to speak a lot more gently with this one because I do see and think that a lot of people are, are doing this in their daily life. And it might actually feel like it's good for you, but I really do believe that it, in some ways, voids the message of Christianity in our faith. Watch out for ideas that emphasize peace and stress-free life and better health through meditation and mindful enlightenment. Mindfulness and mindful meditation are super mainstream and popular. Go into your app store on your phone, open up the health category, and you'll see that these type of apps are some of the most sold and most downloaded in all of the health apps that you can get on your phone. They promise stress reduction and they advocate getting it through uh, meditation and mindful practices. So by managing your emotions and your thoughts, you can have more peace. You just need to be more consciously aware of the present moment in a non-judgmental way and you need just to practice breathing exercises and stretching mechanisms to be able to manage those thoughts. But in reality, this is Buddhism repackaged for a Western audience. But you might think, why do I need to watch out for this? I actually do this. I actually have a subscription to this. It actually helps me. I actually have less stress. I can actually sleep more. How can this be bad for me? Listen, my problem isn't, the problem isn't with breathing exercises. The problem isn't with stretching. The problem is the philosophy that undergirds this, that tells something about your human soul, even though it claims to be a secular worldview. Think about it. The definition of mindful meditation is being consciously aware of the present moment in a non-judgmental way. So the thoughts that cause you stress, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness, whether it's lust, any thought that might come into your head, you're not supposed to judge. You're just supposed to be aware of and categorize it. So even if the Bible says it's a sinful thought, even if the Bible says it's a sinful emotion, you're not supposed to judge it as sinful. You're just supposed to oh, make yourself aware of it and categorize it and through the right techniques, you yourself can overcome it. What does this say about the gospel? This says that the cross is not necessary because I do not need to judge my sin as God judges my sin. What does this say about the Holy Spirit? Isn't peace a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't God's word say in Philippians chapter 4 that through prayer in, we can not be anxious and have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Doesn't Isaiah chapter 26 say he keeps us in perfect peace when our mind is steadfast on him? What we are in fact doing is nulling the power of the Holy Spirit and negating the necessity of the gospel, saying that I don't need to judge my sin as Jesus judged my sin. I don't need to rely on the Holy Spirit to have peace. I can do it myself. How is that a sufficient Christ? It's adding onto him and subtracting him. Listen, I get it. Our world is stressed out. We live busy lives, but what if we had a spirituality like Jesus had? where we got up before it was dawn and went out in solitude to meditate on scripture and pray. 
What if we fasted like Jesus did? What if we had the word of God on our tongue like Jesus did? Frankly, I really believe Christians are implementing this because they don't know how to read God's word and they don't know how to pray. And they're forfeiting a synthetic peace for the prince of peace. Watch out for empty lies that are devoid of Christ. Listen, it might reduce your stress, but it's not making you more Christ-like. And the goal isn't less stress, it's more Christ-likeness. Christ is supreme over all things. He created all things. All things exist for his glory, and he is sufficient for us to walk in a manner worthy of him so that we can glorify him too. That's what God wants for you, Christian. That's what God wants for you, brother and sister. Watch out for empty lies. I'll finish with this idea. Watch out for empty lies because full maturity means being filled in Christ alone. This is where we will briefly dip our toes into verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Pastor Kent Hughes talks about a time where he went to the Pacific Ocean with his wife. When he went to the Pacific Ocean with his wife, he was reflecting on this passage. And he asked his wife, what if we had a jar and put it down to the Pacific Ocean and filled that jar with water in the same way that this jar is filled with water right now? The entirety of the Pacific Ocean could never be filled in a mason jar like this. But the fullness of the Pacific Ocean has completely filled this. And in the same way, in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. Jesus is fully God. We could never attain to the fullness of who God is. But by faith in him, Christian, and by faith alone in him, the fullness of Christ has been completely filled in you. That means that you have all that you need to live a life of godliness. You have all that you need in Christ. You are filled in him. You need to stay filled in him. The problem is that when we are not watchful for these lies, we dilute and empty out the fullness of Christ and add in things that cannot satisfy or truly fill us. We can never attain to the fullness of Christ, but his fullness has been filled in you Stay filled in Christ alone and watch out for empty lies that can keep you stunted from spiritual growth and shackled in your sin. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. We have all we need in him. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, you are so good to us. It is a marvelous thing that the Son of God would become man and walk amongst us. It is a marvelous thing that he would allow his own creatures to spit on him and mock him and reject him, yet still Christ went to the cross for us. Thank you for the good message, the good news that Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins. Thank you, Lord God. Life is challenging. Lord, we know it. We feel it. Our circumstances, our own doubts, our own failures are 
hard. Lord God, thank you, though. Thank you that you've given us the fullness of Christ. Thank you that you have filled us with his fullness. Lord, would you teach our church to be watchful? Would you teach us to keep attentive and to not neglect what we have in you? Father, I would pray for those who maybe have soaked up lies rather than filtering them out. Lord God, I pray that they would turn to you and find their fullness in you. Thank you, Lord God, that we have this. We need you more. You are a good shepherd. You are a loving father. So guide us, teach us. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.